Ready, set, go! Registration is now open for the Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 Annual Conference. It's in Philadelphia, December 4th through 6th, 2023, setting the standard transformation through accreditation. You don't want to miss it. Register now at msche.org. Surprise! We're taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us for an incredible higher education marketing and enrollment management conference February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Add Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. This is Elvin Freitas, co-founder of the Add Up Experience podcast. And I am back with another amazing episode, a one-on-one uh, conversation with a great guest. Before I get to him, because uh, I want to jump right into it, I do want to say thanks again to the thousands of you that have purchased our book, Commencement, the Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education, with authors Kate Colbert. Dr. Joseph Solustio and contributions by myself. It's been well received. Uh, uh, and you can learn more at edupexperience.com. That's edupexperience.com. Make sure you sign up for our mailing list so you know where we're headed next because we like to um, podcast at different conferences all over the world, uh, which we have a few coming up. So, And you can learn more about all our happenings there. So edupexperience.com, sign up for our mailing list. Okay, great. So Let's get right into it. So I'm super excited to talk one-on-one with my guest today. His name is David Kelly, and he's the CEO at The Learning Guild. David, how you doing? Excellent. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. So let's jump right into it. So um, if anyone out there listening has never heard of The Learning Guild, can you tell us what is it all about? All right, how do you, what do you do? How do you do it? And then if you could tell us maybe something that we can't find on the website. <laughs> sure. sure. So um, learningguild.com is where you can get all the details. The Learning Guild is a professional development organization catering to the needs of technology edu- educators and trainers who build technology-based learning applications. That's our niche. Um, historically, we were called the e-learning guild. Um, been around over 20 years. And we, emer- we emerged, our founders created this organization at the time that technology-based education e- e- emerged, e- e- where, where it was new, when, when it seems like science fiction these days, but it, when personal computers in the workplace were a new thing. Um, and, and that's when the e-learning guild emerged. Um, and we were targeting that niche. Um, and at the time, you know, for those of us that, that are, our hair is a certain color, we remember that at the time that there was that technology-based education was an outlier because most education was done in a classroom and with, with in a face-to-face environment. Um, over the last 20 plus years that the Guild has been in existence, more and more technology has become technology enabled, where it's, it's actually more of an outlier to have a learning experience that doesn't leverage any technology than right. one that does. Um, so that's one of the reasons that we rebranded a couple of years ago Dropping the E because over the over the course of the same 20 years, the term e-learning, which at the time kind of was around electronic technology-based learning broadly, yeah. uh, through practice has kind of become a certain deliverable of, of a certain type of educational experience, a course-based model of, of clicking through. That's what most people think of when they hear that term. And we explore 
the full spectrum of technology-enabled learning and education programs. That's why we rebranded. So the Learning Guild is a community of practice that supports people who operate in that space, at that, at that intersection of learning and technology. Uh, we do that through a number of different uh, different sorts of vehicles. We do lots of printed publications or, or written publications, I should say, most of it's digital. Um, we, we do a monthly research report, we do uh, white papers, we do articles, uh, all, all, multiple articles every week. And we also do numerous events throughout the year. We, we are, most people are familiar, people who are familiar with the Guild are familiar with us through most of our face-to-face -face events. We do three major events uh, a year. Our, we, in the start of the year, we have our Learning in HR Tech Solutions Conference, which focuses on the practical application of learning in HR technologies. Mm -hmm. We have in December of this year, our Learning 2023 Conference. That's the Learning Leaders Conference, which focuses on the leadership skills of education and training professionals. And then next week, uh, I'll be leaving on Sunday, we have our DevLearn Conference and Expo. That is our biggest event that we do every year. It's in Las Vegas. Uh, and that one focuses on, that's our tech show. That's the one that's a pure tech show where we focus on the technologies that people are using and also not only the technologies they're using today, but how those technologies are changing the work that we do tomorrow. So all of those details, everything I said can be found on the website. What's not on the website? Yeah. Um, what's not on the website is that everything, it's not as, as transparent on the website, but everything that we do at the Guild, the vast majority of it anyway, um, is from the community by the community. So it's not that the guild is producing these resources yeah, yeah. And, and distributing them. Members of our community are sharing their stories by writing articles, by doing sessions. People who are part of the Learning Guild community are sharing their work so that others can learn from it. The guiding principle of everything that we do at the guild and why people feel connected to the mission-based work that we do uh, is together we are better. That's kind of the guiding principle that we use because if we all work together and share our work with each other, share the proven practices that we do so that others can learn from them, we can push the entire industry forward. Uh, so that's kind of the, the thing that's not really as apparent on the website is that everything that, we, that funnels through us, all the content is from the community by the community. So, uh, wow, that's great. Yeah, I didn't see, I didn't really get that. That's great. So. Are you working with K to 12 and higher education? What's the focus there? So the focus of the guild is predominantly just that intersection of technology and learning. Within that, we don't cater very much to, we, 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 focus, we focus narrowly on adult-based learning. So we're not really in the K to 12 space. Um, the, a good portion of our audience work in what I refer to as organizational learning, like corporate training departments. Um, but we also cater to the higher ed market as well. As long as you're dealing with adults and you're dealing with technology-based education, you'll find resources that can help you do your work at the Guild. Got it. So let, let's talk about uh, the members. Who are they? Uh, where are they from? Um, and about how many of your members are actually uh, participating in that learning environment where they're writing articles, blogs, things like that? So our membership is about 85,000 members. Um, whoa, now, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, 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 Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> we, we have about 85,000 members. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a large organization. Now, with any any organization like that, you have different levels of engagement. You have people who are who are members um, and just come to one of our shows every year. They visit our website a couple of times a year. But then you have members who are 
regularly engaged. They're, they're, they're participating with us on social events. They come to our events, they're writing articles. Uh, I would say a, a, um, a smaller percentage of that, you know, a couple of thousand people are, are contributors of content. Yeah. We're always looking to get more. So the people who are writing our articles, you know, like we, we have a, our conference that I mentioned that's going on next week. There's about 150, 100, and actually about closer to 175 people from the community that are speaking and sharing their stories at, the, at this event. Um, so, and we rotate it. We always, you know, we, we are, we, we always, we don't have the same people coming in and doing these all the time because we want to give other people the opportunity to share their story as well. So we, uh, we, we have a couple of thousand people probably who regularly contribute to the community. One of the challenges within that, of course, is there, you know, we have, we have the session I mean, we, we are, we're fortunate in that we have a very passionate community. Just a, a quick example of like some of the numbers that sometimes create a challenge. Uh, for our DevLearn conference, we, we, we uh, program our events through a call for proposals. If you have a story that you want to do, submit it. We review them all. Yeah. That conference has about uh, 150 sessions on the program total. Mm-hmm. We got over, I think, 800 applications to, to submit that, um, to, 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 to be on that program, and when we look when we look at them, the first thing that we do is we kind of go through them and say, is is this a session proposal that's worth putting on the program? Um, and usually, when we do that, it's about fifty to sixty percent of them meet the criteria. That puts us at like 400, 500 proposals that are worth being on the program, and we have one hundred and fifty slots. It's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. So we 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 have a very vibrant community that wants to share their stories. We share as many of them as we can, but sometimes we just don't have all the room to share all the stories, which is where a lot of our article content can sometimes come from. Yeah, yeah, and um, I definitely want to dive deeper into dev learning because I'm I'm going to be there. I'm excited. It's be my first time. So oh, I welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, but before we dive into that, I do want to talk a little bit more about membership because I think there are different levels and I was trying to understand, I think there's like the free version and then you can go a little bit deeper and then you can go a little bit deeper. I think there were, I, th- I thought I saw three or four different levels of membership. Can you talk us through the, sure. uh, those? Mem- yeah, that was next. So, so membership, there, there's it, it is kind of like three levels, but at the core, membership is free. So yeah. you, you can get access to all of our content, all of our membership, all of our uh, periodicals, our research reports, our publications, our articles, uh, and discounts to come to our events, all as part of a free membership. So there's really no barrier to entry in terms of price to get all of that. Where we do have some paid subscription options is around our online event content. Wow. In addition to our face-to-face events, we do a lot of online events throughout the year, online conferences, online forums. Um, and those like a, like going to our face-to-face conference, you can buy those outright. They're a couple of hundred dollars usually for a registration. If you, if like we have a, an e-learning foundations online conference coming up in a couple of weeks, you can register for that directly and like you would buy a ticket to any other event. But yeah. we do offer a subscription model where if you are an online conference subscriber, you can go to a year's worth of those sessions. We do at least six or seven of them every single year. And for a very affordable price, you can just subscribe and get access to all of the events that we do through the year rather than buying them individually. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's more of a subscription model on the paid mm-hmm. thing to get access to some of our paid events mm-hmm. rather than another form of membership. We also have a Learning Leaders Alliance that, that has access to certain things for learning leaders that for different communities. That, that is a paid... Uh, access to get access to those forums as well. But the membership core elements of being a part of the, that, that 85,000 group that I was talking about, that's all free membership. Got it. Okay, got it. And so I think um, we didn't cover this, but uh, 
the uh, uh, the type of members members that you have there uh, are they mostly instructional designers uh, working in higher ed or like you said corporate offices? Talk uh, talk about the community a little bit, like uh, sure. where, who they are. So we've got we've got um, members at every level of of work. So I would say about if you drew a line in the in, in the in a in an org chart mm -hmm. between you know managers of people and and direct workers, yeah. uh, we'd probably be about 50-50 at that line. Um, there's always gray in that. I mean, you've got people who manage people who are still in, you know, instructional designers who do that sort of work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, instructional designers is a big part of our audience. Yeah. Um, that, that is a, an, a, a large portion of who is engaged with the guild, who gets professional development with the guild. Uh, but we also offer things for for people who administrate learning programs, for people who manage them, uh, for directors and, and and executives who are managing different types of learning programs and different types of learning organizations. We provide resources for them as well. So, like you mentioned, DevLearn is an example. Uh, we've got about nine or ten different tracks going on at the event, many of which are kind of organized. They're not organized by the role that you in it you're in, but but the focus is you might have. So we'll have an instructional design track. We'll have a management and strategy track. We'll have an emerging technologies if you're a technologist track. So there's there's tracks that can match up to the different types of roles and the different level you might be within an organization very well. Gotcha. Okay. So let's let's dive into since you mentioned DevLearn again, and it's coming up. Um, so let's dive into a, a, exactly um, what what's this year's theme, right? And you mentioned some of the tracks, um, and then uh what year uh is this i didn't really see that i'm not sure how long have you been doing devlearn for um and what what can people expect uh by attending this year sure. so devlearn is the largest learning technologies event in north america the one that's on that, that of the only events that are focused only on the technology piece of learning devlearn is the largest one um, we'll have close to 4,000 people at the event this year, wow, that's good. Um, and and close to uh, I think about 150, 160 exhibitors in our expo hall. So it's a big show. Yeah. Um, the theme of DevLearn is always around shaping what's next, or, wow. and, and and we because it is our forward leaning tech show. It, it's a tech show, and it is our, of all the things that we do, it's a little bit forward leaning. So people are are coming to DevLearn because they're, they're curious about technology. They want to see how they can use it in their work today. They want mm -hmm. to understand how it's changing the work they're going to do tomorrow. And because DevLearn is, is an aggregator of early adopters and, and you know, a lot of the supplier community comes to DevLearn to show their new stuff, it's, it's always got that air of what's next. And, and you have the opportunity to be a part of discussions that can shape what's next. So it's not just a matter of let me go and find out what's happening, but let me go and participate in the discussions that are shaping how we're going to be using technology in the future. So it attracts that kind of an audience. There's always a level of early adopter, curious people who are looking to play with the new stuff and understand where it fits into their work. So if you're if you're interested in emerging technologies, you're going to find the, the peers who are interested in that sort of a thing at DevLearn. Uh, and that's that's who's going to be there. That we at all levels of the organization, you're going to find people who are leveraging technology to transform how they approach education and training 
and find people who are already doing that, sharing their stories, sharing their proven practices, so that you can learn how to apply that in your own organization and see what's to come. I mean, you know, we talk about all the different things that are changing in, in education and training, and we put them on display. You know, that's that's one of the things for, uh, our team does from a curation standpoint of what we put together. We never look at it through the lens of let's show people what they need to do. Hmm. We look at it more along the lines of let's show everybody what's because because the reality is we're gonna you know we're gonna have four thousand people at this show, yeah. And and if I tell them what they need to do without understanding the context of what they're in, what environment they're in, what resources they have available, there's a there's four thousand different ways that yeah. right or wrong answers depending on the unique context that people are in. So we're not looking to say this is it's one of the reasons I could, yeah, I think I've used the phrase proven practices a number of times in our discussion. Mm -hmm. I don't say best practices because I don't think that that's a good phrase because best practice implies this is the best, you should do it. But mm -hmm. how do I know it's going to work in your environment? That's why I say proven practices. It worked for me. It's a replicable thing. You can take from it and apply it and adapt it so that it might work in your organization because it does, the, the environment that we're in is different. So what we try to do at, when we're curating the program is put together an, environments that, sh that put together sessions, put together experiences that help people understand what's going on in our field. What are the opportunities? What are the factors? If you're going to go to an emerging technology, what are the questions you need to be asking to determine, is it a fit in your organization? How can you leverage it? What value would it drive? Not to tell people what those things are but to provide them with resources so that they can answer those questions for themselves. Uh, so they can answer it within the context of their own working environment. Yeah. So that's the type of things that you can experience at Devlin. Yeah, there'll be some practical things that we've got this tool, let me show you how to use it because that doesn't really change within the context, but it's all packaged within the, the realm of let's get together and share those proven practices so that we can have a body of knowledge that people can pull from and decide this might work in my organization. Let me see how, let me pull it in and see how I can adapt it so that it can solve the problems that we're having. Should you register for the Middle States Commission on Higher Education annual conference this December 4th through 6th in Philadelphia? 100%. I agree because the title of the conference is called Setting the Standard Transformation Through Accreditation. There is no time like the present to explore opportunities in higher education and the future for our students and our business model. Get out and network with your peers this December 4th through 6th at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education Annual Conference. Attention. Are you ready to elevate your institution's marketing and enrollment strategies? Join the EdUp Experience podcast at the Insights EDU Conference, February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from engaging speakers from industry-leading companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and higher ed leaders. Learn the latest marketing and enrollment strategies to grow your programs. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code add up to save $50 off your registration. Attention. Gotcha. And so let, let's talk about attendees. Are attendees different from guild members? Uh, is it basically all guild members who are attending? And then presenters are presenters from corporations, from higher education institutions. What type of organizations are, are they coming from as well? So it's, it's a mix. Um, you can register for any of our events without being a member. Oh, okay. So it's not it's not like it's a member only thing. I yeah. will say this, and and it might sound silly to say this, it's foolish to do that. And, <laughs> and I think that just in the sense of 
not that like I, I'm, I'm trying to sell your membership. Our membership is free. <laughs> and members get a discount to come to go to, to go to an event. So mm -hmm. if you want to pay more to come to one of our events, by all means, feel free to do so. <laughs> but it seems silly to me. Like you can yeah. save a couple of hundred bucks just by being a member yeah. to go to this and the membership is free. So don't waste money. That's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> um, and, and like I said, there's, we got 85,000 members. Some of them are more engaged than others. Some of them might have become a member to save some money to go to a show. And that's fine. Like do that. I, don't waste money. Um, so that so anybody can go to the show but usually because of the structure of that like if you become a member you can go there. usually you know 90 percent, 95 percent of the people are members even if they became a member because they wanted to go to the show got it um so th there's that um there was a i'm sorry there was a second piece to your question that i missed the organizations i will who are the oh yeah so the organizations yeah. so uh the organizations and the speakers are a representation of this as well so the, the 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 where the people are coming from is is representative in across the attendee base across the speaker base it's, it's just representative of, of our community mm -hmm. so the the majority of them are coming from different types of organizational learning departments uh, i'd say about maybe depending on the year 15 20 percent are coming from higher ed uh, institutions. Uh, and we, one of the things that we do with the programs, because we know we have that allocation, you know, as much as they're all in the learning and education space, it's very different to work in a corporate environment and an academic environment. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things we, we do, our team does a great job of this, is a lot of times we'll get a proposal, hypothetically from a corporate environment, that's like, here's what you do for bankers and here's what you do for oh. th this particular type of worker and or or on the flip side the higher ed people are like here's what you do in an academic setting here's how you build a technology-based learning program and we'll reach out to those people and say this is a really really good thing but the way it, and it's applicable to everybody who's going to be in the building but the way you've worded it sounds like it's more narrow can we remove the piece mm -hmm. about it being for bankers and just Tell the story of how you do this and remove the context of it. It's only going to work for bankers because yeah. it's really more applicable. Yes, you work in a banking environment, so I understand why you wrote it that way. But you'll get more people in the room and be able to provide benefit to a larger number of people if we talk about what you did and how it could apply to all sorts of different organizations. So even though we have all of these different types of organizations that's in there, we build the program and we work with our speakers so that the sessions that they're doing aren't so overly narrow to the environment that they're in, that people can learn the higher level benefits of what they did so that they could apply it in different types of environments. So uh, that actually just got me thinking when you said um, the difference between corporate and higher education, you know, this is higher education podcast and we have a ton of higher education leaders. They always want to know what's going on in the corporate sector. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in terms of learning and development in the corporate sector? So learning and development in the corporate sector is is increasingly going down. A, in, in, in the corporate sector, you hear the phrase workflow learning, okay. which it, it's it, it's it's a term. I mean, we, we've been talking about performance support, micro learning, all sorts of different things. When I before I was working for the guild, I worked in corporate learning. environments. Before I had a label for it, I would describe it to my team as we need to find the least disruptive way to get people to learn how to do their jobs. You know, in corporate training. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah the, in corporate training, historically, you literally had to stop someone to, from working to bring yes. them to a training environment yep. so that they could learn how to do their job. And then you sent them back. Yep. 
Um, and we're increasingly getting away from that, trying to find ways that people can learn while they're working, find ways that we can support them to, to perform a task while they're working so that we're not inter, that's the, that's the highest cost of, of, a, of, a, of a, for an organization from a training perspective is to tell them we're gonna remove them from work and you're not gonna have them for a certain number of days and then we're gonna send them back and they'll be able to do that job better. So corporate environments and especially in the technology-based learning and education space is looking for ways to support people in the environment of work and, and finding ways and where, where I think that the technology is really in, in going in a direction that is interesting is that there are that the systems will be able to recognize when someone is struggling to perform a task. So it, we the, the the data that's going on behind the scenes of people's work will be able to recognize where there's a performance improvement opportunity, where there's a learning opportunity, mm. and to insert itself in it. Uh, and and so it's not necessarily even like it, it's it's transparent to the point that. Yes, there's a learning moment taking place, but no one feels like they're stopping to learn. They're just solving the problem of, of not knowing how to do something so that they can move on and do it. And they learn in that process. So there's a lot of that going on in the corporate space of how can we do that more effectively? There's also a lot of work in the corporate space that I think academics should be aware of, of, of recognizing the broader scope of what it means to learn in an organization. Hmm. You know. Uh, in, in the sense of historically, what you got, if, if, you, if you had a tran metaphorical transcript, because most people in organ corporate organizations don't have a literal transcript, but if you had a transcript yeah. of all the things that people did, you'd see the courses that they took, the workshops that they were sent to, like the formal things that people were, were required to do as part of their job when they were sent to training, that's what you would have a record. Uh, yeah. But now there's technologies and and more interest in looking at things more broadly. How do I how how do we show how do we recognize and measure someone's competency based on what they're learning by working? How do we measure it based on all these other informal things that are going on throughout the workday that really contribute a vast majority of how people are learning within organizations? How do we track it? How do we measure it? How do we how do we map that to competencies that we need within yeah. our organization and support yeah. it accordingly? So the, not to say that, that, that the, the formal piece of what we do around workshops and courses and, and all of those formal training programs that, that are part of someone's onboarding and skill development and upscaling, those are still there. But technology has advanced and there's more interest in the corporate environments around being able to get a broader picture of how people are building their skills, um, especially around the informal things. And if we can recognize it and track it, then we can also find a way to support it and amplify it. And there's a lot of interest going in that direction. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I really appreciate that insight. Um, it brought up another uh, question that I was thinking about is a lot of times when we have folks on who are not in higher ed, but in the corporate space, they come on, they say, there's a big disconnect. Higher education is not doing their job because when I get my employees, I still need to do more training with them. They're not prepared to do X, Y, Z that I need. Are you still hearing that? Is there a disconnect um, there? I, there's there's a disconnect, but it's a disconnect on both sides. Uh, ah, I mean, I don't, I don't I don't think it's I don't think you know I I have a lot of colleagues that will that will say uh, the biggest problem with learning is school. Like the biggest problem with corporate learning is school, and mm -hmm. and I and I get where they come from from that because our ex and our experiences around like I I just described a whole bunch of stuff that is a very different paradigm of what learning looks like in a corporate environment around the informal stuff and how we track it. Yeah. But 
business leaders and the people who fund learning in organizations have their own perspective of what learning looks like and and what learning looks like is shaped through our experiences of what school looked like mm -hmm. learning looks that what does learning look like it looks like school because that's how i learned exactly. so so there is that innate expectation that there is a gap there if that's what school looks like now but i will also say on the flip side um higher education in my opinion at least um is Yes, it's preparing you for the next stage of entering the workforce, but it's also preparing you to be a complete human being. It's mm -hmm. also preparing you in, in, in yeah, college's job is not to prepare you for your job. College's mm -hmm. job is to prepare you for life after college. And there's, there's a whole aspect of be just what it means to be a complete adult human being that is not preparing me for my job. Mm -hmm. It's preparing me for being an, an, a, a human being who's going to be a veteran. Um, and and that's an element to it that sometimes the corporate people who complain about uh, about the academic environments have to realize as well that it's not a matter of they're there to prepare you for this job. They're yep. they're there to prepare you to be as complete a human being as possible when they enter your workplace. And that's a different environment that's there. Mm -hmm. So I think I think there there's truth to that gap. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things I like about events like ours that can bring different people is it gives an opportunity for people to have an understanding of each other's worlds, which I think is, is, a, is a key element of this. But I think that the gap that exists, it definitely exists, but it's, it, it's on both sides and both sides have a different perspective as to what that gap is and how to bridge it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. That's a really good insight. Um, I, I do want to switch gears real quick. Um, and I don't want to talk about something that I've been seeing a lot from companies like Proctorio, right? They're a proctoring um, company and they talk a lot about academic integrity, especially now with, you know, the fast changing environment uh, like generative AI, the move to online and the needs from continuous uh, education students and adult learners and all that good stuff. I'd love to get your, your take on uh, academic integrity uh, in this day and age and what's happening uh, with AI. It's it's challenging. I mean, if, if I was <laughs> yes. in, yeah, I mean, it's it's challenging. If I was in the pro, if I was in that space of of how do we man manage the academic integrity around testing and assessment? Yes, um, a AI is a concern of mine. There's no yeah. question of that. Um, and and we do have to manage I, in, in an academic environment. Being able to have integrity around what people are doing and being able to to measure it. Um, appropriately is yeah. is hard and it's key. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that one of the challenges that we have around AI and generative AI is, as it is today, you know, they're the biggest buzzword in our industry, one of the biggest buzzwords we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, and what's what really I don't like buzzwords uh, as much as I, I I I'm in the business of them in many ways because I host <laughs> these conferences. Um, yeah. But the reason I don't like buzzwords is because I define a buzzword as a term whose usage has spread faster than its understanding. And, and that's kind of where we're at with AI. Like yeah. it's moving so quickly and it's, I mean, chat GPT is the highest adopted technology in decades. Mm -hmm. So like its usage has spread faster than our understanding of its, its, its implications and what it means uh, and, and how it's going to be used. So that's a challenging environment to be in. So there's two elements to, to directly answer your question around, around what does it mean? So, I think that the tools are going to start to emerge or that are going to enable us to 
identify a little bit easier where some of these tools are being used. So there are already some tools that are starting to emerge that at an, at an overly simplified level that a teacher could use to, to take someone's work, put it through, and it would flag areas that it yeah. kind of looked like this. This might have been something that was used within generative AI. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now that we're, we're, I think there's a lot of teachers in a panic mode of, I have no idea how to do this. And, and give, it, give it six months or a year, and there will be tools that can bridge that gap a little bit. But I think, and, I, and, and that's needed. I don't want to minimize that. That's needed. And I think those tools will emerge. And, and some, of, some of the stuff is probably going to be emerging from these suppliers, like you talked about, that need to address this concern. So they're already putting the R&D in and figuring out how to do this. And, and we'll, there's already a couple of things that are out there that are kind of in their infancy. Six months or a year from now, I expect it to be a lot different. Yep. Um, but I think the flip side is, and, and this to me is a little bit more important, like I understand the short-term need to kind of close the door and 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 control this environment. Mm, mm -hmm. um, but this is a Pandora's box that's not going to go close long-term. <laughs> so, <true. laughs> yeah. so we we need to, instead of saying like, how do we, and I, I get, we do need to, have, there is an element to this of how do we manage the academic integrity? Mm -hmm. And we need to have that, that conversation and we need to figure that out. But at the same time, we also need to look around and say, this is a paradigm shift. Like, what does it mean to learn with these tools in place? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I had I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they were just like, they that that person didn't write this, they used chat GPT. Wow. And, I, and I pushed back a little bit. I said, I understand what you're saying, but I think the definition of what it means to write something is going to look different five years from now because I, I might use chat GPT as a tool to enhance my writing. Yeah. I still write it and, and I'm still editing and I'm still doing this, but I'm using this tool that's enabling me to do it quicker, more effectively. Um, and it's just a different, and, and that might redefine what writing means. Um, and, and, and because it, because the reality is, if everybody's doing it a certain way, then we can say that's not writing all it is. But if everybody's doing it that way, and that's what we say, right? And, and they're all describing is this is how I write. I use this, I, I, I get my ideas down, I put it in chat GPT, I use this tool, blah, blah, blah. That's what writing in many ways in practice is going to look like. What does that mean? How do we adopt to that? And these tools can do very, very powerful things. I think, yes, we, in the context of assessment, I understand like we need to do this, we're mitigating risk. But the biggest, the, the, the writing thing was just one example of the flip side of risk is always opportunity. Yeah. And we, these tools are emerged, they can do amazing things. What's the opportunity in that? What could we do within education and training by having these tools available that we've never been able to do before? Mm. And that's an exciting time to be. Not to, not to take away from the risk, the risk is real and we need to address it. Yeah. But I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't at the same time consider ourselves the question of, wow, what's the opportunity of this? Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, this has been a, a fascinating discussion. I so appreciate uh, your time, David. I have two last questions for you. Yeah. So the first one is, did we miss anything during the conversation that you wanted to touch upon? Anything that you want to talk about coming up? Uh, any trends, insights, or whatever else you want to talk about that we need a chance to touch upon? And then the last question is, which we love to ask everyone, and I can't wait to get your perspective on this, is what do you see as the future of higher education? Sure. 
Um, so uh, nothing major that we forgot. Um, the only thing I, I didn't mention when I was talking about the Guild earlier is um, one of the changes that we're doing, you, you'll see at our April show if you're interested, it's called the Learning and HR Tech Show, is corporate learning environments are increasingly working alongside and with and overlapping with HR. Um, so we've brought we've we've launched the show in April that's going to bring those two worlds together. That's going to bring show the full technology stack of how learning and te HR technologies work together, how learning and HR professionals work together to support their organizations. Wow. Uh, so if you're in, if that's a space that you're interested in, check out learningguild.com for all the details there. Nice. Uh, so and your question about how how rephrase the question for me one more time. That's so it. What do you what do you see as the future of higher education? Okay, so we touched on it a little bit. Yes. Um, but I, but I would be remiss if I didn't say it. It, it's it's that intersection of AI uh, of what it looks like. Um, a lot of uh, in my environment in my environment, I'm asked this question a lot. I and I've been asked by some academics, but I think it also applies to all academics. Is we all everyone asks the question when they're talking about AI: of, Is it going to replace humans? Is it going to replace the work that we do as humans? Um, and and I. I don't think that it's going to replace educators and trainers anytime soon. I don't think that AI is going to do that. But I think that there's a lot of work that we do as education, educators and trainers that is fairly rote, that technology can probably do better and, and AI tools can enable for us. So there's two elements that I think in, in terms of the future. One is the key question of what's uniquely human about your work? Because mm. the reality is like as an estimate, Many of us probably have 20% of the work that we do in education and training that AI is going to be able to do for us. And if you don't have an answer to what would I do with that, if I had 20% of my time free, what would I do with it? You don't have an answer to that. You have a problem because that's 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 an opportunity and a risk for you. Like, there's, what would, what could I be doing with that? And if you don't have that idea, like that's a problem. You should be thinking about that. And that gets me to the last point of the future of what this looks like isn't that AI is going to replace humans. I don't believe that. But I do believe that people who are able to work with AI are going to replace people who cannot work with AI. Mm. And, and that's a huge element for education. So that, that, that if, you're, if you're looking at this and saying, that's not my space, I don't want to, everybody should be looking at AI and thinking like, even that example that I gave, if I had 20% of my time free, what would I do? Because AI is probably going to be able to free up some of your time to automate some of what you have to do manually today. What would you do with that time? That's the unique human element. And, and the, the future of education and training, in my mind, is going to be powered by people who can operate in that space, the humans who can work with the AI to, to find the best of both of those worlds. And they, in many cases, will replace humans who are not playing with AI. Wow, that is Awesome. Fascinating. You know, this was such a great uh, conversation. I learned so much, hence the learning guild. Now it makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure our listeners did as well. So uh, thank you so very much. Um, David, how did you enjoy your EdUp experience today? I very much enjoyed it. This was a great conversation and I appreciate being invited. Awesome. Well, thank you. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, you've just EdUp. Oh, yeah. The Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 Annual Conference is in Philadelphia, December 4th through 6th. Setting the standard, transformation through accreditation. Remember, only you can create transformation through networking, knowledge sharing, opportunity, leadership, service, learning, and accreditation. And you'll do all those things 
at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education annual conference this December 4th through 6th. Can't wait to be there. EdUp will be there. There's going to be over 1,300 attendees, presidents, provosts. The networking opportunities are off the chain. Register now at msche.org. Oh, yeah. Attention, higher ed marketing and enrollment management professionals. We are taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us at Insights EDU on February 20th to 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Gain insight into the latest higher education trends and cutting-edge marketing strategies that'll take your institution's enrollment to a whole new level. This is your opportunity to connect with higher education leaders and marketing experts from across the country. Comprehensive presentations, engaging panel discussions, and more. Insights EDU will equip you to position your institution for growth. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Can you afford to miss this conference? I don't think so.